Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, this is Alex Ewell, host of The Readback. The Readback team is taking a quick break. We'll be back with new episodes in two weeks. In the meantime, we've selected one of our favorite episodes to re-release. Last year, the 401k turned 40 years old. In this episode, we look closer at the good, the bad, and the future of the popular retirement policy. Here's the episode. Enjoy. Among the things to be thankful for this week, the 401k is high up on the list. Americans have saved some $5 trillion worth of money in the tax-deferred accounts, and the asset management world has grown up around them. But like the Thanksgiving story itself, the 401k narrative is a complicated one that often skips over some troubling realities. I'm Alex Yule. On today's Readback, I'm joined by Beverly Goodman, managing editor at Barron's, who just finished editing our cover package on the 40th birthday of the 401k. Hey, Beverly. Hi. Let's start with how the 401k has become so incredibly ubiquitous. For a lot of us, really, it's like the only way we invest in the stock market these days, and it's our only source of savings. And I would imagine that it was like this major thing that was created by the fun giants of the world. (laughs) Not at all. It was actually kind of a, a hard sell initially. A man named Ted Benna, who was a consultant, a CPA by training, essentially he's often referred to as inventing the 401k. I like to say he discovered it because it really was a very small, much overlooked section of the 1978 tax code. The less than 900 words, section 401, subsection K. (laughs) Not quite as sexy that way. He was basically looking for ways to help his corporate clients retain highly paid, valuable employees. As consultants will do. Exactly. He certainly did not intend to revamp America's retirement system. So the most important tool and vehicle in savings these days and arguably in investing was kind of a fluke. Basically. But Ted Benna discovered a legitimate loophole that really has kind of become the way America saves today. If the 401k became possible thanks to this 1978 law, let's take a step back. What was retirement savings before 1978? Retirement was a very different proposition, both sort of culturally as well as financially. Um, People were more confident in being able to live off of their Social Security income. And there was sort of less anxiety around whether benefits would be cut or you'd have to be older before you could claim it. And there was also kind of a, a sense of scaling back in retirement that we sort of seem to have lost. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you need to be that much better prepared for retirement if you plan on, you know, living the same kind of lifestyle and taking lots of trips and, you know, maintaining your lifestyle in other ways. With regard to pensions, more companies certainly offered pensions and it was some kind of, you know, guaranteed income for the most part. But the sort of myth of the corporate largesse in terms of pensions really is a myth. Pensions were always determined by your tenure. And even in the 70s and 80s, the median tenure of most professional workers was five years. Even if they had the most fabulous pension plan, you were getting, you know, maybe 5% of your income averaged over the prior five or 10 years. It's It's not a life-changing amount of money for higher-income earners. 
So instead, now we have the 401k, which in a lot of ways, am I correct to think has replaced the pension, put the pension out of business? <laughs> uh, em- employers, companies certainly have dumped the pension because those were expensive to maintain and it's easier for the companies to you know, move that burden onto workers. So in that sense, the 401k definitely has replaced it. Whether it's replaced it as a sort of social good is debatable. Okay, and we can debate whether 401k is good for the worker. We can debate probably whether it's good for employers, but I think there's one big winner in the 401k. (laughs) Yes, the asset management industry has been largely built on the, the backs of 401k investors, not only because of the money that actually went in and has still gone into the 401k, but it's just created a nation of investors that really didn't exist before. That nation of investors sounds pretty good in 2018 with the stock mm-hmm. market still f- close to all-time highs. Probably didn't sound as good in 2008, didn't sound as good around 2001. How is this conversation changed throughout the years, uh, depending on where stocks are. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great point. In, in 2001, and I think I heard this also in 2008, people would talk about their 401ks now being 201ks. <laughs> There's definitely a legitimate national worry or anxiety when the market falls because, again, because you're that much more involved in your retirement, you really see very clearly what a 20% drop in your portfolio actually does to your ability to to spend money in retirement and to predict the next 10, 20, 30, however many years you you think you'll live in retirement. It and it has affected policy. We, you know, used to have a big conversation around privatizing social security and that was going to be essentially personalized social security accounts that people could manage and after the tech bubble burst and we had that, you know, market crash in 2001, that conversation pretty much ended. Can you tell us a little bit more about the mechanics of the 401k? How much can people save? How much are people saving and 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 who can save? Sure. Uh, The who is really up to the employer. Um, They can place certain restrictions. They can tell new employees that they need to wait six months or a year before they are eligible to participate in the 401k. In terms of how much, in 2018, it was 18,500. In 2019, next year, it'll be 19,000 that investors can contribute of their own money. And that, of course, comes out pre-tax. So it's not $19,000 off the top. It's actually will appear to be less money. And a lot of big companies do offer a corporate match. But again, that's not mandated. That's not a government restriction. That's just a, a corporate benefit that companies will offer to attract talent. If the limit is $19,000 next year, are Americans really putting that much into their 401k every year? No, and a lot of the complaints about the 401k from certain people are that the amount that you can contribute usually goes up only about $500 a year. A few years ago, people over the age of 50 were allowed to contribute an extra $5,000. I think next year it's $6,000, which is called the catch-up contribution, which is aimed at actually allowing people who have not saved enough to contribute a little more and do that sort of final push before retirement. But 
the reality is most people, the median contribution is something just under $5,000 a year. So increasing the amount people can contribute does not actually necessarily make people more ready for retirement. There are other things that need to be addressed. So one of the reforms is this suggestion that the cap should be raised. Yes, and that definitely will help basically higher income people who can afford to save more, but not everyone. And there's an army of American workers these days who are not even eligible for 401k. Exactly. It's hard to get specific stats on this, but most of the numbers settle around 40% of workers that do not have access to a 401k plan. Some of those are working for small businesses that don't offer 401k plans. Some of them are working two or three jobs, and most employers do not allow part-time workers into the 401k plan. And some of them are just working for industries or types of companies where it's just not as much the norm as it is elsewhere. One of the things that really struck me from our stories this weekend was this idea that the 401k is kind of a loophole. And maybe even a corporate tax cut in a Mm -hmm. way. Is that a fair assessment of the 401k? Yeah. (laughs) That's certainly how it started. That's a fair assessment. Initially, um, it was a a real boon for the executives of a company and super high earners that could not only save, you know, up to $45,000, I think, initially – Um, of their own money, but the company could also contribute that same amount to the employee's 401k as sort of a tax-deferred bonus. Congress since then has put rules around how much people can contribute, how much um, of the entire workforce needs to participate in a 401k if the executives are also participating. And they've made some other changes that are aimed at less sophisticated investors helping younger people and just you know, people who don't know as much about investing, helping them make good choices. That seems like a key part of the 401k. If we're going to put all of the risk on the individual and the motivation on the individual to start these 401ks, is there enough knowledge out there about how to (laughs) use a 401k? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're here. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we're doing right now, Alex. I, I mean, I think there's a huge, huge dearth of financial education. I mean, this goes beyond the scope of the story and this podcast, but it's astounding to me. You can graduate high school without understanding how a credit card works or what a mortgage is. But, um, you know, that's the world we live in. And then people without that sort of information get their first job. And if they're lucky, they're presented with a 401k plan. And not only do they not know sort of the basics of household finance, they're being asked to invest in, in the stock market for a retirement that could be many, many decades away. That is a tall order and a big learning curve. Wow. And I think one of the things that actually I find so depressing when, I, when I've learned about 401ks and retirement and investing is that you really do have to start young. And yeah. yes, you can try to catch up at some point. But the numbers are staggering when you look at the difference between starting at 25 versus 32. And that's all because of the power of compounding, right? But I think we're talking about differences of $500,000 to a million dollars just by waiting a few years. Exactly. In the 401k, it's the double power of compounding at a tax deferred rate. So you're getting, you know, the traditional benefit of compounding, which every percentage increases on like a bigger and bigger number. 
But without taxes being taken out every year, that number is allowed to grow much, much more than it would in like a regular bank account or regular brokerage account. So if there's any lesson that comes from people listening to this podcast, and hopefully you have some very young folks listening, (laughs) it's start now. Now as in right now. Right now. (laughs) Now, I think a lot of young people would probably bristle at that, understandably. Yep. First of all, some of these people don't have jobs yet. Secondly, a lot of them that do have jobs, even very good ones, are stuck paying a lot of student debt. So in some ways, the people who need to be saving for their 401ks, the most are the ones least able to do it, it would seem. Yeah, and that is a, a big problem. If you're you know, choosing between whether to pay off debt early versus save, I would argue you might not want to pay the debt off early. Obviously, you have to make your you know, regular minimum payments. But the power of compounding is such that it really pays to get started, even if it's just, you know, there, there are definitely um, online brokers like Fidelity and Vanguard and Betterment and Wealthfront. There are tons of places that will allow you to invest just like $25 at a time. And that's a good way to get started in your own IRA, even if you don't have access to a 401k. Great advice. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. (laughs) You've spent the last week and many years thinking about this subject. (laughs) 40 years after its birth, are 401ks a net win for Americans? Hmm. I will say yes, they are a net win because it's impossible to know what the alternative was. Pensions are expensive. It's a reasonable hypothesis that there's some part of the pension system that would have been dismantled, if not by the 401k, by something else. Um, The government has stepped in to kind of make 401ks a bit more equal and a bit more accessible. We have a long way to go on that front. It's arguable that had the government been spending that effort on making pensions more equitable and accessible, um, perhaps Americans would be even better off. But that's not the world we're living in. Thanks so much, Beverly. Thank you. You can read our full cover package on 401ks in this week's Barron's and, as always, on barrons.com. Thanks to Beverly for joining us and to Sarah Max and Reshma Kapadia, who spent so much time putting the stories together this week. I'm Alex Yule. The show is produced by Meta Litzhoft. If you're listening to the show on iTunes, please take a moment to give us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. The readback will return next Wednesday.